Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to episode number three of my brand new podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all of you to episode number three of my brand new podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app or on Stitcher or on iHeartRadio, it is on there now. And you're wondering, so what the heck is this? Well, I'm going to just give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams. I'm a 22-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60s music fan slash expert slash nerd. And each week with this podcast, I review one song by one artist from the 60s and first talk about my opinion on the song and why I think it's so good or why I think it sucks. And then do my own personal analysis on the record and the arrangement of the song and then dig deep into the history behind the record, which will include who wrote it, who produced it, who played on it. And all the juicy behind-the-scenes details on the group and the song I talk about each week and all the people and places involved in the making of the record. So basically, that's what this podcast is all about. I'm basically giving you guys a millennial's perspective on the classic music from the 60s, which can differ from someone who was there at the time and grew up listening to that music when it was popular and brands making new. But really... I'm also trying to educate people around my age on this great music and turn them on the stuff they may have never heard before and teach them about these groups so that way they will learn something about the people that made these records come to life since I've personally done my own research on these records and I've gained quite a lot of knowledge on this very specific decade of music and you'll see that within each episode of this podcast. But there's one more thing I want to mention to you before we move on to the song I'll be featuring in this week's episode of the podcast. And I probably should have said this right from the very beginning of the show with the very first episode, but I might as well say it now before we get into in depth with the, this week's song. Now, this is a fair warning to the people in their late 20s or early teens or late teens and early 20s who are listening to this podcast. If, you're, if you really like the music that's blowing up on the pop charts right now in today's world, and you're really into the Post Malones and the Cardi B's and the Drake's and the Bruno Mars of the world today, in 2018 and even if you've never heard 60s music growing up in your life and you're raised on country or classic rock from the 70s 80s and 90s or something that's more or less not 60s music i wanted to give you a fair warning that i can't guarantee you that you'll love this stuff that i'll be reviewing in this podcast because to be honest with you i don't know if any of you tuning in have decided to check out the songs that i've talked about on here and have clicked on the youtube links i provided for the songs to talk about on the show but if you have you probably have picked up by now that the music I'm reviewing for this podcast is completely 100% different than what's blowing up on the pop charts right now and getting placed on Spotify playlists. And honestly, it could be very much a shock to your system if you've never heard this music growing up in your life and you're so used to hearing the Keshas and the Black Eyed Peas and the Beyonce's of my generation and you're just now listening to this music for the first time in your life if you're a young adult in your late teens or early 20s and it's hard for me to be able to connect with the stuff that I'm passionate about from back then versus what's being popular out today because what's on the charts right now is the complete polar opposite both sonically, lyrically, and musically to what's on, what was on the charts 50 years ago. I mean I understand we don't live in the 60s anymore and we do live in the present day world of 2018 but one of the goals I had in mind with this podcast is to show you guys that 
what popular music used to sound like over 50 years ago and also show you that the business and the popular music itself has changed dramatically since then. But really it's up to you, the listener, if you like any of the songs I review in this podcast or dislike them. But I will say this. If you're a millennial and you're not a fan of what's on the pop charts right now and specific new fresh genre and genres of music like heavy metal or EDM or hip-hop and rap and you want to hear something completely different from all those genres put together and simply want a breath of fresh air from all that, then I am 99.9% certain you will love the songs I'll be reviewing in this podcast I'm doing if you decide to check them out with the YouTube links I have provided for the songs to talk about on the show. I happen to be one of those people, so you can now understand why I love this music so much. And you might be one of those people too, and if you are, don't be afraid to reach out to me via Instagram or my email, which I will provide in the text description of each episode of this podcast. But moving on, let's get started with the song I'll be reviewing in this week's episode of the podcast. Now the song I'm going to be talking about in this episode, and so dare I say it, sexy, but the second you put it on, it turns you, it puts you in a very sexual and sensual mood. It evokes a, this very specific feeling that things are about to get super hot and heavy, not just musically, but also lyrically as well. This song came out in October of 1967. It's by a group called The Classics 4. The name of the song is other than Spooky. God, is this song smoking hot or what? I mean, it just has the coolest minor key chord progression you can find in any pop song from this era. And two really cool things about this record. The two core vamp that really puts you in a want-to-take-my-clothes-off kind of a mood. And lyrically evokes a classic love song tale of a guy getting mixed signals from a girl, but then he really knows that the girl actually does want him. But the reason why I think this song is sexual in nature is because I feel like in this song, the girl teases him and doesn't give him what he wants at first, but then she quickly changes her mind and succumbs to his demands, which might not be sexual on the surface, but it feels like they are hinting to sex even though it's not blatant or obvious within the subtext of the lyrics. I mean, right from the start of the song, the guy asks the girl out, the girl turns him down and gives him an unbusy bullshit excuse, and then she turns around and quickly changes her mind. She has her mind on other guys and for a second, the guy isn't sure if he's the one she wants. But then he gets reassured that he's the one she's after after when she holds his hand. But the way he describes the relationship between the girl he's talking to is spooky. Which is which if you think about it, if you easily substitute spooky with sexy, so instead of love is kinda crazy with a spooky little girl like you, it's love is kinda crazy with a sexy little girl like you. The underlying context of the song would make much more sense, since that how we that's how he's describing the relationship he's having with this girl. If you think about it, spooky is really just being used in the place of sexy, but both words mean the same thing within the context of the song. But the writers of this track could not use sexy in the song, otherwise it would have gotten them banned on several radio stations, and this song would have not been a hit. And also, two really kick-ass things about this record, other than lyrics, and Dennis Yo's smooth as better lead vocals, is the ripping sax solo on this song is just fucking great. I mean, you listen to it and it just makes you want to scream, oh yeah, because it's so totally badass. And also, 
The transition into the hook with that funky diminished chord that goes into the hook of the song is also really cool. And the drummer on this record really gets into the solid groove with his tasty fills that just swing right along with those super tight shakers on this track. And the backup vocals on this track doing the ooze really just set the tone for the track, definitely giving it a spooky vibe. But not talking about the song, let's talk about the Classics 4. Wait a minute, Classics 4? I've never heard of them before, but now you got me alongside with your analysis on one of their hit songs. I definitely want to learn more about them. Well, he came to the right place. The band was originally from Jacksonville, Florida, and they started out as mainly a cover band with Dennis Yosa on drums, Wally Eden on bass, and Joe Wilson on keyboards, and James J.R. Cobb on lead guitar. They were originally known as the Classics, but they had to put a four next to their name after they released their first hit single, because there was already a group with the cl- called the Classics out, and they already had a hit single. Interestingly enough, their first single was very uncharacteristic of their overall sound, that they would become well known for. And the sound it sounded less like a jazz pop song and more like a Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons track, which explained why it was never a hit. And I actually heard it for the first time pretty recently. It sounded way too much like a Four Seasons song, and their label had to pull back distribution on the single because of that, and that's why it never charted. Their head publisher Bill Lowry actually persuaded the group to move from Florida to Atlanta and that is where they recorded all their hit material, which falls under the easy listening jazz pop category, similar to what you used to hear in the LA adult contemporary station 94.7 The Wave. Joe Wilson was later replaced by Dean Daughtry on keyboards, and Billy Gilmore replaced Wally Eaton on bass after Wally got hurt in a car accident. Kim Venable later took over for Dennis Yost as the band's touring drummer after Yost became the lead singer and frontman of the group. And Robert Nix and Terry Walters assumed drumming responsibilities on the band's studio singles. Most of their songs were recorded at Master Sound Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. And Bob Richardson engineered most of their hit records, including Stormy and Traces and Every Day with You Girl. But let's talk about this specific song, because this was their first hit single. One specific thing about this record is that it originally started out. And this really should not come to much of a surprise if you decided to check out the song I reviewed today, as a saxophone instrumental written by two guys, Mike Shapiro and Harry Middlebrooks Jr. Mike Shapiro actually recorded the song himself and released it as an album cut before this band recorded it, and it wasn't until the Classics 4 head writers and producers James Cotton and Buddy Bowie picked up on the song and they decided to rearrange it, write a lyric and melody to the song, and have their band The Classics were recorded in their own unique style of jazz pop. And they even had Mike Shapiro play sax on the record. But he never played on another Classics 4 song because it was very difficult to work with in the studio. His concepts of what he had in mind for a sax solo on a pop song differed from what the producers had in mind with what they wanted him to do to fill in the empty space on the record for the solo. Buddy Bowie did not think his ideas were very mainstream pop at all. There was a tone break on the record he definitely wanted to re-record, but the producers did not want him to re-record that at all. So they had Ray Gerald play on the rest of their hits, which included Stormy, Traces, and Every Day With You Girl. One more thing about this band is that the members of this group later went on to form an extremely successful classic rock band in the 70s called the Atlanta Rhythm Section, which had songs like So Into You and other big hits in the 70s. And one of their songs, Stormy, actually got sampled by John Lynch for his hit song, Save Room, in the early 2000s. 
So that concludes episode number three of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. And as always, I provide a YouTube link in the description of this episode of the podcast I talk about this week, which was the classics for Spooky. And also, if you found my analysis of the song in this week's episode of the podcast interesting, or you checked out the song I talked about in this week's episode and you fell in love with it and you never heard it before, please shoot me an email at sam at hickeywilliams.com. And also, follow me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. I'm Sam Williams, and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the podcast, and stay tuned for an exciting announcement on the first special guest of this podcast. And until next week, please keep things